Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Tip. Press the record button when you want to record. Yeah, that's basic basic knowledge basic. for a good for a successful podcast. Who uh, you had fruit salad for breakfast? Yes, every day. You don't make that yourself. I do make it myself for me. For but I don't, but she I don't lives in the it. Netherlands and everything is already chopped in the Netherlands in supermarkets. So if you go there, everything is already like chopped in slices. You only have to fill it. No, that's more expensive. I buy my own fruits and I pick the strawberries from the garden. Ooh. You, pick- you guys wouldn't believe it. Yesterday we had puffages with strawberries. You're breaking my heart here. Yeah, <laughs> mine too. It's already broken. But I saw your the strawberries on Instagram. They look amazing. And they taste amazing. I didn't see them you, on Instagram. Yeah, you, you're my favorite. You're you my favorite me? strawberry influencer. No, it's still there. You can go check it. I'll go check that out. Uh, I just want to put public pressure on uh, Joanna here, Benny. She yep. sent us both a picture of poffages recently, mm-hmm. and but has failed to send any actual poffages to us, despite, at least in my head, despite public promises to do so. Yeah, that's her, half, that's her half Dutch origin. They are super lazy. Uh, they promise a lot of stuff and then they are too too hammered to send it over. It was cold. I have to send it in oh. the bag. <laughs> so I can send it to Ian because I'll be in Berlin, I think, in about two weeks. I can give it uh, to you in person, Ian, but Benny will be a bit harder. It's I'll, give yours, I'll give yours to Dan. It's, it's I don't even 7 know degrees where I live, so it's cold enough to send it over and it stays cold. Uh, puffages <laughs> are like uh, small Dutch pancakes. Okay, that sounds good. Small Dutch slices of heaven. Yeah. The Johan Cruyff of Dutch food is what I would The heroine saying. of food, I would say. You get addicted to it after one. <laughs> uh, anyway, joining me in McCourt on today's One Football Podcast is Benny Kuhlhoff. Holy dodly. Dan Burke. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and Joanna Bueno. I can't talk that. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to bother asking you how you are this week. I'm in a mood where I don't care. I'm just going you know, okay. to put that w- out there. It would be depressing anyway, my answer. so. Uh, it, well, no, no, I'm sort of intrigued. No, we're, no, we're not going to do it. Uh, should you wish to get in touch, tell us what you think of the podcast or send over any questions you'd rest to do so. It's podcast at onefootball.com. Or you can always get onto iTunes, leave a review, let us know what you think. I've been mulling over something in my head all week. And it actually started with the, uh, a conversation I had with uh, Joel on, on the English desk. Who had the better Champions League comeback? Man United in 99 or Liverpool in 2005? Who wants to take this up? Because United only had United had two. What they, it was into extra time, and they had to score twice. Liverpool had an entire half, literally yeah. forty-five minutes. Easy. No, I support. I to, go on, baby. I used to think that. Oh, sorry, but no, I, no. since I'm on it already, no, no, you go. I used to think that uh, Man United in '99 was the best final ever until the same happened in my team a few months ago. So this is amazing to score two goals, both of them coming out of corners in the extra in the extra few minutes. I think you can top that. So Man United is definitely the best one. <laughs> is that what we're agreed upon? 
I no. go. I well, go with that. Espe- especially because it uh, it hits Bayern Munich, my most hated club, <laughs> uh, beside the yellow and black wall in Germany, uh, and hit them right there where they are famous for in Germany, like last minute goals, um, like killing people, killing teams uh, within the last second, and then they got hit twice. Uh, I will never forget the face of Oliver Kahn. I will never forget Lothar Matthäus sitting on a bench. He was just substituted five minutes ago by the guy that made the wrong pass to Teddy Sheringham. And this everything fits. That had so many stories uh, behind that. Uh, the best story I find is that the um, the the um, UEFA president uh, back then already went down by an elevator to to uh, to give the the Champions League to Pokal and he thought it's Bayern Munich getting that and then he got the Pokal in the hand in the hands and then he saw oh it's Manchester United saying it. it's wrong and they say no no they just won <laughs> and he had to had to change everything and uh, this is one of the best stories behind it and he missed the goals this- He missed. He missed the goals in the elevator because he went down. I think it was Le- was it Leonard Johansson. I don't know who was the UEFA president back then, but like he th- he went on the pitch thinking Bayern Munich just won the won the Champions League, and then he found out on the because it was written on the Champions League trophy already. Oh, that's What a, a story! That's amazing, Dan. Yep. You're you're of course going to go with your Manchester brethren here, aren't you? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm probably the best the wrong person to ask about this because um, you know I was 11 years old when United won the Champions League in '99. My dad Fuck. had brought me up to be. <laughs> very like bitter he'd passed on his bitterness to me and we watched that game together and you know it was a farce that game Bayern Munich absolutely battered them they hit the post about four times and he's still at the bitter <laughs> at the final whistle um, I as I say I was 11 years old I just burst into tears oh. so I was very upset about that one whereas the <laughs> Liverpool one alright you say they had a whole half to come back but they were 3-0 down against probably the best team in the world at the time and as Liverpool fans always like to remind they had Jimmy Troyore playing for them in that team mm. and they somehow managed to win the Champions League um, found some sort of reserves of strength that they probably didn't even know they had so I, I think the Liverpool one was better personally but maybe I would say that <laughs> maybe you would say that uh, I, I mean the, the City, City, v, City v QPR trumps them all obviously so it's uh, oh, of course <laughs> I, I think I told you the story but I missed the 99 final Uh, because I had a rough schedule. I broke up with my girlfriend on that day and I said, like, okay, I go to her, I break up at five, I won't be back, <laughs> gonna be back after some tears at eight and can watch the game. But it took longer than expected and it takes <laughs> until, I don't know, 10.30 or whatever and I was always watching, there were no smartphones, you know, you're sitting in a, in a room breaking up with the girl that you loved a few days before and uh, <laughs> and then uh, I, I biked home and I wanted to see the final minutes or whatever but I missed it completely. So uh, I only... I, 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 re, I saw it real life but I didn't I missed the moment where everything fell apart I, I, you, I, I didn't miss the moment where things fell apart in my private life but football related I missed that back then you had no idea about women whatsoever did you really think you were gonna break up in what one hour <laughs> I was I was well prepared I had a speech I was I was there the tears were ready it was everything was there but uh, yeah It, but it's like it's like as they say in Seinfeld it's like you know launching a, a, a missile that both of you have got to turn your keys you know and she, she clearly wasn't ready to turn the key that's the moment where I learned that uh, a couple is always made of two people not only one oh, that's, and that's all it took an incredible missing a Champions League final <laughs> the greatest Champions League final of all time and that's yeah. all it took uh, so Benny I did say earlier that I wasn't interested in how you are but um I feel like after losing to 17 place Werder Bremen, 
could potentially have an adverse effect on your mental health. And as a friend yeah. of yours, I just want to make sure that you're, you're okay. I think it's not only this the sportive side of Schalke and Ulfia that is going down and falling apart. It's also everything around the club. Like uh, there's a big discussion because uh, Schalke is the currently one of I think two clubs in the Bundesliga that are still uh, a club and not like a um, a company like others. Um, so and now there are discussions because they are so bad, uh, and the boss of Schalke, uh, the, the 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 butcher, uh, Turnius wants to wants to divide it into a company, and there's a big discussion. And now he's seeing the little hole, the little moment where he can finally do this move and make it a business. Um, so this is a big topic uh, on fan sides. Uh, so that's why they say. It's for the team. It is good that no, there are no fans in the stadium because that will be the huge, the biggest topic for all. And everybody was whistling at the boss of the club and whatever. But they are so bad uh, that this is, isn't even an advantage. There are no fans in there. I think there's absolutely depressing how they play football. The whole team is depressing. Looking at the names, uh, I mean, a few years ago we had Hunt, Huntela, Raúl, we had Manuel Neuer in goal, we had Seat Kolasinac, and all these players: Leon Goretzka, Leroy Sané. They were all there. And now our biggest guy is uh, Daniel Caligiuri. Uh, and we just sold our goalkeeper as a second goalkeeper for Bayern Munich, Alexander uh, Nübel. Uh, it's so depressing. And I don't see any hope for this season. I just hope they don't get uh, relegated and can, uh, can renew next season. I don't have hope, but yeah, that's it. Wait, hold on. They're not going to get relegated. No, don't say that. They, they scored two goals uh, in, in this year. Um, it's absolutely depressing. So they lost against the 17th place. They lost against the 11th place. They lost against. They not even. It's not even close. They just got slapped and sent home. That's they were the it. only team that lost all three matches since uh, after the Corona break. So yeah, they, I mean the first. The first, the, one, the first one was the derby, and they lost four nil. And afterwards, players say yeah, it was hard to get motivated. And then Weston McKenney, one of the players I really like, gave an interview where he said, "Like, well, my Corona break was like I wake up at two, play PlayStation till seven, then I have lunch, and then I go for training for an hour at eleven o'clock at night." And this is like, okay, and now you're ready to play professional football and lead a team. I mean, he's young and all sorts of stuff. So, but um, this this whole team, the whole club currently, and it's uh, the second biggest club, remember wise and maybe the third biggest club um, emotional-wise in Germany. Um, Success-wise, it's the seventh or eighth biggest club in Germany, but um, it, they are falling apart on all levels, and this is very depressing. Why? Because it's really... Is a st they were so good at the start of the season. Yeah, but this was a bit like an eye-blinder. I don't know if you say that in English. I don't even know if you say that in German, but like we thought... <laughs> They were bad last season, really, really bad. And then there was this, uh, the, the beginning of the season, they just took pure defensive play and hope that there's a goal in the in the uh, in front, one goal or two. Uh, and this is how they had success three years ago. And the stability in the defense went away. I don't know why. They get they concede so many goals after uh, uh, corner kicks or free kicks. Uh, this went away and they don't score. So uh, the best scorer is Benito Raman with four goals this whole season. Uh, there are defenders who have more in other teams. And uh, yeah, I think this was just like, it looks good. It looked good from the results, but the football is horrible. And there was it was absolutely sure that they won't be successful but uh, right now it's absolutely depressing but the conceding from free kicks and corners that's a concentration like that's a mental issue 
it is yeah and it's like yeah you, you're not concentrated and i mean there are not even fans who whistle or whatever it's just like pure calm uh, amateur football atmosphere and you have to just to 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 guard your your offensive player but yeah that's it but wagner should be safe it is wagner isn't it yeah, yeah. well He's lucky enough that we can't that we can't afford firing him, um, because we are also close to bankruptcy. Uh, there's also a big scandal right now because Schalke wrote to all their season ticket holders, uh, if they want their money back, they need to give a reason why they need their money back, uh, and they send it out to all the fans. Yes, you all looking what the fuck? Yes, what the fuck? Uh, yesterday they said sorry to the fans that they tried this, uh, but this is what the club is. They ask their fans in the second second poorest city of Germany why they want their money back for a season but they cannot attend and uh, yeah this is the status right now I'm lost why on earth would they want that money back I don't know crazy uh, did you see um, Sunderland uh, just on a side note did something similar to this yesterday they had like a sort of Q&A on their website with the fans where basically if the, the rest of the season and next season is played behind closed doors they're going to allow sort of like a streaming pass for season ticket holders and people said well can we just have the money back and they said no and they said well will we be able to watch away games and they said no you'd have to pay extra for those uh, <laughs> yeah it's a disgrace yeah yeah there was a huge discussion in Germany that football needs to present itself humble in these situations, uh, like get a step back uh, from this, uh, like showing your big balls and how much money you make. But the clubs don't understand that, especially my club. And this is a pity. How does anybody feel about those massive Zoom things that they have in the stadiums in Denmark where you can, you know, the players can basically see into your living room while they're playing? <laughs> I like it. I think it's cool. Who wants that? I like I I'd do that. I wait for a chat roulette moment where someone presents his dick in a, in a stadium. This, ha- this is going to happen. Don't give any ideas, Benny. They forgot to turn, they forgot to turn I mean, off their I mean, I think I'm not the first person to have this idea. At least an ass. That's what we can expect. Well, there is a, I don't know. I mean, you can find it on various social media sites. There is a something like similar happens uh, in a work meeting and the guy forgets. Yeah. Guy, a guy doesn't realize he hasn't turned off his his camera and his colleagues are like no don't turn off your camera <laughs> <laughs> this can happen this can I happen li- i like these initiatives of the borussia Mönchengladbach that puts you know a, a print of the fans there uh or even what we were talking about last week of the fake sounds but it doesn't replace it's cool it's different you know it makes the news and i think it's it's nice but it, it, it you just can't replace the, the fans being there no, not quite. It, no, it just oh, it just opens up so many things. Like in Gladbach, there were several people who sent pictures of Charles Manson and mass murders <laughs> to be in the stands. And Dominic Cummings was one of them as well. Yeah. Yeah. Sooner or later, yeah. there will be a, there will be a, a bad bad person in the stands with it, and they will make the media. And I think then they're going to stop this. But this worst thing came from Japan. I don't know if you saw this, uh, that you can actually cheer via your smartphone or whatever it is. I mean, this is the worst thing. I I don't know what they are going to do. And there's also this. Twitter video of where you can put augmented reality fans in a stadium and the atmosphere, though, that it seems to be full and the fans are singing in the stadium. And if we, if this is going to happen, I'm not attending this podcast anymore. I'm done <laughs> with, uh, I'm done with podcasting about football. I'm just making my money as a job, as a normal job with football. Mm, well, that's there is a positive to everything. <laughs> how did, uh, how did you feel about the sex doll approach? Where was that? Was that Korea? 
Korea. Korea. South Korea. Yeah, yeah that's, I mean, that's different. I mean, that's a different culture. Maybe it's absolutely normal to have these people bring these people to the stadium. I don't know. I know in Japan there are clubs where you can actually date sex dolls. Um, but uh, I think it's funny. This is funny. Mm. I mean, if you put only women there, it's it's horrible. But there are also men sex dolls. If you put them next to each other, it would be actually a good fun. This would this is the mo- approach I like the most. Imagine that was your job to blow up all of the sex dolls to fill up like a sixty thousand seater stadium. Well, that, they you, actually you claimed miss- that they weren't um, sex dolls. By the way, they said they were just mannequins. There, so I don't think mm-hmm. they had uh, yeah. genitalia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I also you we've I all made also, that excuse. They were, they were dressed. <laughs> also, they were dressed. Also. also <laughs> And you are from Ireland, and I, I, I re, um, but you missed 20 years of uh, sex doll um, uh, development. Currently, this they are not blown up anymore. They are just fully made of silicon, and you can you can create everything there. It's a crazy business. Really? Yeah, maybe in Ireland you still have to blow them up. You get the old ones from from other countries. <laughs> have you got one, Benny? You seem to know a lot about them. <laughs> yeah, I, I show it next time. Yeah. <laughs> It would be the fun. girlfriend that he broke up, you know, he had to replace her. <laughs> oh, that's that's cool. No, I built I built my own body as a sex doll just to see how uh, how I'm looking currently looking. Oh God, <laughs> he's a sex dog model. That's all. He yeah. gets an extra cash. No, I'm definitely not. Getting back to non-sex doll topics, uh, Vetter Brayman, uh, Benny, they've turned things around recently, haven't they? They're doing they're doing well. It's an up and down. They lost uh, um, the game yesterday. They played against Frankfurt. They lost 3-0 or 4-0. So this was a bit depressing because it was an opponent that is next to them in the table. So they are, like, in the last four or five years, they always played against uh, relegation. So I think they they are still in this this run. But hopefully, because it's important for the Bundesliga to keep a club like Werder Bremen in there. And I actually like the club itself because it's more or less, the fan base is very left-wing. And the club is always a bit like the underdog thing and um, they should be they should stay in the Bundesliga but I'm not convinced that they don't uh, um, fight against relegation to the next to the last match day okay uh Paderborn at that that end of the table smashed by Dortmund at the weekend you'd imagine we can probably say goodbye to them now Unfortunately, yes, because the the biggest star of the team is the coach. I don't know if you have ever seen him. He looks like a guy that is in a bar fight regularly per day, like six or seven times per day. He's he's talking straightforward. I like him. He has a is a former second league striker, Steffen Baumgart. I think he's a guy that's going to end up in English Championship, maybe like all the other cool uh, German coaches. Um, yeah, but. Well, there was a, it was a surprise that they are in the thir- uh, first league because three or four years ago they played third league and were close to be relegated to the fourth league. And then they it was one of the stories. And I think they enjoyed their year. They ex- they thought it would be a bit more like uh, different with more fans and a big party. And now it's a bit depressing. But yeah, they're going to go to the second league. That's he for sure. looks like he wins all of those bar fights too. <laughs> yes, of course. And he's wearing a hat all day, which is like close to my my mindset so I, I like it um, hat-trick for Jaden Sancho That's, is his first ever hat-trick there might be yeah. uh, his numbers so. are so crazy I can't mm-hmm. imagine like he's currently the best scorer in the Bundesliga he's the best assistant he's one of the best strikers absolutely crazy because everything beside the pitch seems to be a mess for him well that's what I wanted to ask about because there was a lot of talk of his head being turned 
by you know these offers from Liverpool or Man United or Real Madrid or wherever it is. The yeah, and not only that, there were news that he that he went to England during the Corona pause uh, without telling the club. And yesterday, there's another story that I mean, this is a typical football story that they invited a star hairdresser, um, some of the Dortmund players, to the hotel and get their hair dressed without any hygiene, uh, with any masks or whatever. Like four or five players just get their hair dressed, and then the coach said, "Well, it's." Absolutely net. No, not the coach. I think uh, the manager said it's absolutely natural that after a Corona break you want to get your hair cut. And then the <laughs> the, the hairdresser said, like, yeah, all hygienic things were uh, we were masked, but for the picture we put off the mask. <laughs> and I said, okay, then you don't have to wear a mask, you dickhead, because <laughs> if you put it if you put it down for one second, it can be it can be re- re- late. So let's see what's actually- happening. It actually looks better in the picture if you put the mask because you look responsible. <laughs> that's it. That's it. But they were all smiling, high-fiving, uh, hugging each other on Instagram. Not the best thing. Okay. Uh, I was wondering if he's the best ever English player to play in the Bundesliga. I, I don't remember. I think the last one I remember is is Kevin Keegan, mm. who was pretty good. He did Tony Hargreaves. That was, that was Canadian, right? Well, or England is international. England international. Okay. Play for England, yeah. Okay, and then there was Tony Woodcock, Tony also Woodcock in the seventies. Yeah. Um, and then it gets. Uh, I think Bremen had an Englishman, like a defender, but I don't remember his name. But there were no Dave much, Watson. Not much, that was, I think. Yeah, Watson. Yeah, that's true. Wow. Not many Englishmen in the Bundesliga, but Sancho is one of the most spectacular, I would say. But him and Kevin Keegan. I would say from the star factor, Kevin Keegan was the biggest English player ever in the Bundesliga. Uh, but right now, like from the from the the skills and the, I mean, how old is Sadie Sancho? Fourteen or fifteen? Thirteen. Uh, he has a lot of potential, and I think currently he is maybe the best player in the Bundesliga. And so for that, he's the best Englishman in the Bundesliga. Ronaldo, our favorite ever player, Benny named his most exciting players to watch recently, and named didn't name him. Name Messi is his number one. I feel like everybody's seen Messi at this stage. <laughs> Who is excited by seeing Messi? He's doing all this. He's, this, he's doing four. Every time he's doing the same dribbling, mm. he's standing there with his sad face. And mm. then, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not excited seeing Messi anymore. No, watching somebody like Jaden Sancho and his development, that's... Oh, he also mentioned Eden Hazard, which is annoying to me because I really dislike Eden Hazard. But... It feels a bit like that he lost the last five years of football mm. and he's just like uh, some name dropping from the two, from the early 2010s. Name, Neymar was also in there so yes of course <laughs> very exciting to see him play everybody loves to watch it Neymar <laughs> okay uh, the one of the biggest talking points not just from the Bundesliga but over the weekend was the reactions of uh, you know Sancho and Weston McKenzie Marcus Turam uh, to everything going on in America right now uh, I mean I guess was there was there a reaction to this in Germany or because there was talk of the Bundesliga going to find them but that didn't happen right Yes, that was that was the first reaction. Um, so everybody said that can't happen; it's impossible. But uh, you have to see it from both sides. There is a rule in Germany that you're not allowed in Bundesliga that you're not allowed to protest in a political way during a game. Uh, 
I think it's absolutely fine because if someone has a swastika on his shirt, we would say, oh, wow, fine him or whatever. And that there needs to be a rule. So the Bundesliga had to follow up. But they decided, luckily, that they that they uh, don't find them at all. No, they su- even supported them. They said, we are uh, happy that we have players who have more in their mind than football, who are looking at actual topics and who protest for a good thing because we are anti-racistic, anti-discriminating and all this stuff. Uh, there was a good outcome. Uh, to be honest, with all what happened, in the past with the Bundesliga and the DFB in Germany it was not expected that this was such a clear call Um, there was people who were thinking okay potentially they find them with 10,000 euros or whatever Um, but uh, finally the DFB learned something out of the mistakes they made in the past Mm -hmm. but yeah there were several reactions and uh, as you might know we have a right wing party problem in in Germany for several years now and they use it uh, the protests uh, for their for their opportunity but I think the uh, the people, the majority of the people say the protest is right. They use their they use their um, um, they use their, their reach. They use their platform for a good way. Uh, this is a positive thing. So yeah, I think the, the the reaction was more positive than anything than negative. So good sense prevailed. Basically, they read the room. Yes. Yep. yep. I think it helps that FIFA did a bit of heavy lifting for them a few days earlier in the week as well because they kind of came out and said look. Uh, federation shouldn't be sort of punishing players, booking players for showing these t-shirts as well. So yeah, I think I mean, the the FIFA, it made it easy for them. Yeah, but the FIFA will be the first, if they can make money out of the, such protests, will be the first <laughs> to say, oh, don't do this, here's half a million or whatever. So um, never, I, I would ne- less trust the FIFA than the DFB and this means a lot um, <laughs> because I just I just uh, saw themselves like greenwashing or I don't know even uh, is this the right word white, in this context but like whitewashing um, uh, and writing this protest without making a clear statement on their own side right it's it's uh, it's not because they deleted a picture uh, one day before on their official FIFA account with Jaden Sancho presenting the shirt uh, and they deleted that picture on the tweet um, which shows a bit of yeah shows a bit of that they're sitting between the chairs I would say uh, we got a couple of questions on Twitter nice yeah it is nice isn't it as long as Twitter is there let's wait uh, we need the questions uh, okay uh, at Ellie asks is Suarez better than Lewandowski this was Currently, something yes. we had a, a pretty um, big debate uh, kicked off on our Twitter feed about this oh, really? week because oh, okay. we sort of yeah yeah posted a, a, a a sort of comparison of their stats and said who's better and most people seem to say Lewandowski by the, but, but it's a bit of an odd one to compare because they're both at sort of different stages of their careers it seems like Lewandowski's kind of approaching his peak whereas I think Suarez is a bit past his peak now isn't he so mm. I think the obvious answer is Lewandowski but obviously both incredible players on their, on their day Joanna I'd vote for Suarez I'd vote for Suarez yeah I think he's more a bit more complete as in Lewandowski is more of a scorer, more of a center of the box kind of guy. I think Suarez is a little more complete. And maybe because the fact that he's already passed the peak or, you know, he's already achieved so much. That's my impression. Uh, and Lewandowski, you know, not a young guy, but he's still um, on his way. So I guess. And also I have to say uh, the their performances in the national teams is uh, quite... Um, different one from the other mm. of course one plays with Uruguay with lots of other great guys and one plays in Poland but still Uruguay is not as good and let's say for example 2010 uh, the, the Uruguayan team was shit and they still managed to the, put it in the semifinals poor Lewandowski 
I think he's way better. The, his problem is that he's not. He's a sniper. Like he is no PR face. He's no brand face, which Suarez is. He's made an international superstar, and Lewandowski has everything to be international superstar. But I think he don't want to be. Uh, he just, that's he just he wants a quiet with, life. Yeah, he wants a quiet life with a helicopter, going to training, scoring goals. That's why he don't go to other clubs. I think Real Madrid was always linked to him, but they see, don't see the potential to sell a lot of Lewandowski jerseys. Uh, so you better buy Hazard or whatever who is more like international approach. I think from football quality, um, I would always go for Lewandowski because he's a cold striker you never expect him to get a red card because of biting someone or whatever um so he he can put him on uh, on the on your team and he will always score a goal mm. why suarez is a ticking time bomb and you never know he might score four goals or he might kill three people on the pitch and this is something that has to be taken into regard see more complete <laughs> Yes, the full package. That's true. <laughs> that's back to what we were saying the other day, Ian, as well about you know we were talking about the top five Premier League strikers, and yes. we were saying that like it's like how do, how do you judge it? It should be quite simple with strikers. You should just look at the amount of goals they've scored, look at their sort of goals per minute ratio, and go, well, that one's obviously better than that one. But then you think, well, Lewandowski and Suarez have never played in the same leagues, so the, the challenges that they face are quite different. They are quite different players, you know. Lewandowski's used, used to play up top. Suarez usually plays like in a front three as well. So, yeah, it's impossible to answer really. Did we come to a conclusion on the best Premier League striker ever? I think, well, I think I, we said on Reid, didn't we, basically? But, like, as we were saying, his his goals record isn't as good as Shearer's and Aguero's and stuff like that. So, yeah. Who, I, think, I think Rooney might have say. more goals than him as well. I think he does actually, yeah. But then he played more games as well, so yeah, it's yeah, it's a complicated yeah. one, indeed. But uh, speaking of the Premier League, Dan, it's back or it's soon, yeah. soon it's going to be back. back. Yeah. Um, any sort of special restrictions in place? Anything that we should know generally? Uh, there's a few things going on. So it comes back on the 17th of June, which is a Wednesday night. They're going to have Aston Villa v Sheffield United and City v Arsenal on the same night, but um, sort of kickoff times two hours apart. Obviously, the games are going to be behind closed doors for the foreseeable future, like everywhere. Um, they're talking about having five kickoff times on Saturdays and Sundays. So, like again, the, the, the games will be staggered over the course of the day, and then on Tuesdays and Wednesdays they'll have three more games per night. Um, the plan is to, to finish the season in August if they can, but the full schedule hasn't been released yet. In fact, I think they're probably in a meeting about it as we speak. So um, by the time people listen to this podcast, they might have actually announced the full schedule. Um, interesting, the BBC are going to get four games. It'll be the first time that Premier League t- football has ever been live, free to air. Um, you know, in the, the 25, 26 years, it's going to be around. So the first game they're getting is going to be Bournemouth v Crystal Palace. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, what a, what a get that is. Eh? <laughs> um, there's also interesting, that there's been some talk that they're going to broadcast a little bit of footage from inside the dressing room sort of before the game half time at, fi- at the final whistle not really and there was yeah yeah just I think they're going to have a minute from each dressing room uh, before the game and at half time and then the winning team will have a minute of footage from their dressing room but they're not going to show the losing team in case people are throwing teacups at each other or whatever um, and there was some chat of having the managers mic'd up during the game and doing sort of like pr- uh, interviews during the match but they seem to have scrapped that idea because they're worried that people are just going to start you know swearing and saying all sorts of stuff that won't be broadcastable basically mm. um, so they're going to have the FA Cup coming back at the end of June uh, starting with the quarterfinals and they're going to finish that one on the uh, 1st of August and sort of going back to what we were saying earlier about the um, the way that sort of uh, other leagues around the world have been trying to get fans involved in the stadiums and stuff there has been some talk of actually letting um, some fans into the stadiums to watch Premier League games but they will probably be kind of like NHS style 
staff, uh, key workers, um, people like that. And there's been some talk that they could have 20,000 people in at Wembley for the cup final because it's an 80,000 seat stadium. So they reckon they could let 20,000 people in and still kind of social distance them, you know. Um, Not on the Wembley that, way, on the Wembley way up. No, but they, 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 they'd have to kind of police the way people are coming in and out of the stadium and all that kind of thing. Um, I did see a pretty novel suggestion on Twitter last week as well, where they were say someone was saying that um, one uh, each Premier League team should be allowed to designate one fan to watch all of their games. So they're just like the fan of that club. I think that'd be quite nice. Do like post-match interviews with that one fan and stuff. I think that'd be pretty cool. (laughs) Wouldn't that be so weird? You'd be the only fan in like a 6,000 seater stadium. Well, I'm a City fan, so I'm used to it, you know. Mm. (laughs) Uh, uh, That's true. Um, What I would, I'd prefer to see the losing team dressing room, by the way. The winning team, that's going to be boring. Oh, totally, yeah. The losing team is what you really want. (laughs) Uh, And there's going to be some neutral venues, apparently. Yeah, that's a bit of a weird one. So they've identified, um, I think, six or seven games that are going to be, have to be played at neutral stadiums. So one of them is is uh, Man City v Liverpool, which is going to be played at Wembley. Um, and Why? Everton v Liverpool. Well, it's going to, they're going to have the Merseyside derby and whichever game Liverpool could potentially uh, secure the title at because they're worried that people will sort of, if it's at Anfield, they will all... Uh, fans will all go down to the stadium and celebrate the title outside the stadium together which I don't think a lot of people would do I think a lot of people are quite sensible but even if they played it at Wembley and they wanted to do that they could they could drive there if they wanted to like it's not people have cars like it's it's still possible to travel to places and you know there's probably still Liverpool fans living in London and things like that that could go down so and they also could go to like- the st- yeah, I think it's more likely for Liverpool fans that live in London to go out and celebrate than Liverpool yeah. fans that live in Liverpool to do that because they won't have that chance again. It's only a three-hour drive. They can go to the stadium because it's a, it's like a church. So it's, it doesn't depend if their team is playing there. They can just go there and celebrate because it's for coming together. And I'm pretty yeah. sure if they win the title after 444 years for the first time... I don't know the mentality of Liverpoolians, but I would I would say if Schalke wins the title, no one would stay at home and say like, oh, I celebrate for myself in my garden mm-hmm. and high five myself because we achieved something historical. And this is absolutely bullshit to do it in neutral venues. It's just like putting the pressure on, on local authorities to 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 look after people not going out. And I think they want to avoid because this is what happened in Germany. Uh, there was this Cologne Gladbach game just before the crisis and the the season. Was shut down that the team goes out and celebrates with the with the fans like P- the PSG team did it also in the Champions League I think they want to avoid these pictures uh, so that the league can say okay we did everything that the that the fans and that no one goes out but if the fans go out they they go out I mean if you win if Liverpool wins the title I'm pretty sure that social distancing is not a topic in Liverpool for the next week oh no nobody cares about that well, I mean, even more bizarre than that is like some of the games that they've picked, like uh, Manchester United v Sheffield United. I don't understand why that one has to be played at a neutral venue. Big clash. Pro- probably the weirdest one is Man City v Newcastle, which just there's no rivalry there whatsoever. There's no there's nothing riding on the game. Mm-hmm. I saw some suggestion on Middle Twitter Eastern, that they could, Middle Eastern, Middle Eastern, 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 Eastern Derby. Derby. <laughs> they reckon they could be like an Abu Dhabi v uh, Saudi Arabia. Dust, dust up outside the outside the ground or something, which is just <laughs> utterly preposterous. I, I think it just feels like they're trying to do everything they possibly can to ensure that nothing goes wrong, which is understandable. But it does kind of highlight how flimsy this whole like project restart they've been calling it is really, and how how easily it could all just sort of unravel. 
Project we'll Restart see. is a shit name. I'm not like that. <laughs> it's a rubbish term. Reminds me of Project Runway, which is um, ah, something very different, oh, isn't it? Yeah. Very, very different. <laughs> um, you've got a couple of storylines that you'd like to tell us, you know, with the league returning. Uh, yeah, yeah. So there's a few things to consider. Um, I mean, the first one I've got written down here, you might have to hear me out on this, is will, will Liverpool actually win the title? Like, yes, they're 25 points clear at the top. Yes, they need at most two games to clinch it. But... They're not going to have the Anfield roar behind them, the 12th man. You know, they're, they're very keen to stress the importance of, of that, you know, spirit of the cop and all that sort of stuff. It Who does. knows? It could just completely derail them. They might not win a, a game again this season. And maybe that's wish, a, wishful an thinking amaz- on my part. That would be an amazing story if Liverpool from now Wouldn't on it? loses all games. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that uh, Jurgen Klopp is going to kill someone on the pitch on the last match day just to get the season ending or like or whatever. This is If this is happening, it's an amazing story. If they, well, How many points do they need to win it, Dan? They need two wins at most, but that, so that need, would rely on City winning every game as well. So okay, so they probably six wins. So, so they need six points at most. Yeah. So <laughs> if they say City go on a winning streak, you know they're looking lean, they're looking fit. They got Pep Guardiola. It could be possible if Liverpool just, you know, they get off to a bad start. Maybe lose a game here, draw a game <laughs> there. Wow. Or even, or even better, like they win the two games, they secure the title, and then the Manchester United players go absolutely mental to to shut down the season, and this is all like yeah. deleted well, the, in the history of football. I was saying that to our colleague Joel the other day, who's a Liverpool fan, and was like, "How would you feel now if if the season came back, something happened, coronavirus related, and then they had to just shut the season down when you were one win away from the team? <laughs> that would be even worse than two wins, wouldn't it? <laughs> you got to give it to them at that stage. I, yeah, I feel so yeah. sorry for them. You got to give it. To them. <laughs> that stage okay uh, Liverpool is one uh, what's your yeah, next, so, what's next one so go? elsewhere the, the Champions League places so I mean I think we can safely assume that the top three will probably be Liverpool uh, Man City and Leicester but City have their um, court of arbitration for sport appeal coming up against the um, Champions League ban um, that's going to be the 12th of June so it's all going to be sorted in time for next season if that ban is upheld then there will be a fifth Champions League spot up for grabs so you know it's going to be a, a toss up between Man United um, Tottenham Arsenal Chelsea Wolves and Sheffield United probably I mean I think we could all get behind the idea of seeing Sheffield United in the Champions League couldn't mm. we so so that could be interesting I love that um, Leicester I love that Leicester are in there right ahead of the big ones I think that's great yeah yeah well done yeah, Brendan Rodgers yeah, they've had a, a great season so far um, relegation there's still a lot to be decided there we can probably assume that Norwich are going down but then they are only six points out uh, you know away from safety so they could still reel it back in you've got Aston Villa Bournemouth Watford West Ham and Brighton could all get involved in that so that could be quite interesting um, the player of the year is something that w- could be could be uh, oh yeah who's going to win quite that quite debatable I mean my hunch tells me it will probably be Kevin De Bruyne but um, the BBC did their own version of it which was a fan sort of vote a little while ago and Jordan Henderson won it I was going to say Jordan Henderson yeah I mean he's, he's had a great season There was that, that caused a lot of controversy and it was a fan vote and I think um, Liverpool fans are quite good at uh, sort of getting involved in polls and stuff like that because there's, there's a lot of them so I think that might have been what won it him more than anything I, wow I suspect you're worse than Donald he, Trump he's so <laughs> he's so bitter I'm not it's true it's just facts they uh, are just, good in getting into polls oh my god <laughs> those, those people you mean, you mean fake clubs L- Liverpool we call them <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I mean, I, I think the, the PFA vote will probably go to Kevin De Bruyne, um, which but is interesting. come on, because you can't he... really have like 20 points ahead of the second place in the middle of the season, and then the winner of the best player of the season is the team that's 20 hey. points behind. Yeah. Two years ago, City won the title with 100 points, and who won the player of the year? Mohamed Salah. So it happens. Yeah, he scored 100 goals. I mean, I, yeah, I assume, he scored 100 I assume, goals. I assume the PFA player award is sponsored by Etihad, right? Or who, yeah. who sponsors it? And City had 100 points and Liverpool had 99. So that's a big no, difference. No, no, we're there. talking about the season. This is the season before last, which interestingly, uh, I would say that still, De Bruyne has. It was a close race. No, no, that was, no, they, no they Liverpool were nowhere near points. it. They finished fourth or oh, something. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but I mean, De Bruyne, I think he's had a really good season this year, but I think he was actually better in 2017-18 when City got the 100 points and he didn't win it that year. So mm. it will be kind of weird if he wins it and he didn't even have as good a season as when, you know. He it would feel won. like a little present, like, hey, okay, yeah. you don't win the title, the season is shit, but here is your little award you can put on your, on your, on your, I don't know the word for it. Mantelpiece, yeah. Shelf. Something like yeah. That. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and lastly, the, you know, the, the coronavirus it's going to be interesting to see if it is really sort of safe to go back into the water mm. I was pretty sceptical about the Bundesliga coming back I wondered if it was all going to collapse you know after a couple of weeks especially when the was it Dinamo Dresden like their whole team had to quarantine and they missed a the game and stuff and um, so far it's been you know pretty successful in the Bundesliga but the situations in Germany and England are quite different um, in terms of like the infection rate and stuff. For example, I was out in Berlin last night walking around and, you know, all the bars and restaurants are, are open again now. Berlin is kind of back open for business, but it's completely different in the UK. Um, in fact, I saw, uh, I read an article the other day where they were saying that if bars reopen in the UK sometime soon, to go there, you'll have to download an app on your phone and like request via the app for them to bring you a drink. And not only that, request via the app to go to the toilet. <laughs> Gee, you wouldn't want you to be bringing a battery, would you? No, I mean, you could just put your hand up like we used to at school or something, I guess. that could. Be I would say that perfectly fits to every, like, uh, Englishman behavior. I I, yeah, I recognized yeah. in, a, in a pub. They're absolutely we waiting are, for this. Notoriously yeah, well-behaved people. You run out of battery, you can't pee anymore, you know? If your no, cell phone is No beer, dead. no pee. Yeah. Let's go home. That's all good. If someone has a charger, I want to pee. Mm. <laughs> yeah, what, so, could, what could possibly go wrong with that approach? What is, abso what so is they, absolutely... They, what is absolutely important to say is it's not safe to play football in these days. It's just purely uh, – in Germany, it came back because of money, not because someone thought uh, mm. it is safe. They want to save the clubs. They want to save the league. And they did their best and the best uh, program to bring it back. But uh, saying it is safe, it is not. Like Dynamo Dresden is a good example. They were they, they missed two games and they lost all the games since then. Like they've really fell apart. They're going to be relegated. They are the, the victim of this whole thing. Uh, they are last place in the second league anyway. And now they are just falling apart because they were not allowed to train. They are not allowed to, to play and whatever. And now they have to play every three days. No one is fit. Everybody is injured. And they're just like the victim of all of this. And I think... Not even having the impression that it is safe for players or fans or anyone else. It is a high risk, a risk that is taken um, just for football's sake and for money's sake. And this has to be absolutely clear. Yeah, stick it to the man, Benny. <laughs> um, 
yeah, I think that pretty much sums it up then. Yeah, so I mean, just to just to sort of finish off that point, mm. they announced yesterday that there were uh, one thousand one hundred ninety-seven players and staff tested, and one positive result, which was someone from Spurs who hasn't been named yet. Which you know that sounds good, but is that still going to be the case when players start actually playing against each other from different clubs? We'll see. I yeah. hope, hope it all goes well, but I'm skeptical. There's too many questions still for me. But mm. look, they're powering on ahead, despite my concerns, Dan. They're powering on ahead. Indeed. Uh, now it's 50 years since the 1970 World Cup 50 years Jesus Christ <laughs> uh, one that many consider to be the best ever and the best ever Brazil side so Joanna thought it would be a good time to teach us all a better country in the 70s uh, sure I'd be happy I, to I'm guessing that in 1970 kind of 69-70 Brazil was all cocktails and walks on Copacabana Beach right? Not really. Uh, what more, most people don't know is that at that time, Brazil was under a right-wing military dictatorship and things got started to get uh, way tougher, way harder after um, 68-69. So 1970 was the peak of the repression by the regime. And while, you know, uh, some 22 guys were creating art in Mexico and entertaining people and bringing home the Jules Jimit Cup, uh, people were dying and being tortured in Brazil. It was not very uh, a nice time. What a podcast this is. We go from talking about sex dolls in Korea to, uh, you know, torture in Brazil. What a, <laughs> what a range we really have. Um so okay so the background is coercion and oppression and torture and i the brazil team at the time were pretty heavily criticized right and their their manager was no was not liked either if i've got it right yeah the truth is that brazil was not doing very well before the world cup and was being heavily criticized the team even though you had all these amazing stars but they didn't really together so there was one particular uh, journalist that was criticizing Brazil very much uh, he was a very famous sport journalist in Brazil called uh, João Saldanha and he criticized so much that the president of the Brazilian Federation actually gave him the job you know like okay so you don't like them you do it yourself <laughs> you can do it better and the truth is he did better uh, Brazil won all the matches in the qualifiers and went on to play with uh, probably the best lineup of talents that we ever saw in football. But being a, critic, a, a critic of not only the, the Brazilian national team in football, but being also very political and leftist, member of the Communist Party by then, he was also very openly critic of the government. And, you know, in a military dictatorship, that's not much really what you want. So it was very famous that uh, at some point the president uh, general wanted a particular player that he liked in the team and he was openly talking about it. Well, why doesn't Saldanha put him in the team and this and that? And when asked about it, Saldanha says, well, you know what? He lines up his cabinet. I line up the Brazilian team. Jeez, that, is, that is pressure though, isn't it? Like a dictator telling you who to pick. Exactly. So what happens is he was fired two weeks after that. Uh, someone else was put in charge of the team, Zagallo, who was actually uh, twice world champion with Brazil as a player uh, in 58 and 62. And that player that the general was asking to be lined up ended up in the World Cup. He didn't play any match. He just, you know, sat on the bench, but he was there, coincidentally. So... Zagallo takes over, but he's he's not in charge, right? It's Garrison. Yeah, what happens is, you know, he, he became 
later one of Brazil's most famous and best coaches ever. He also was an assistant coach in 94. He was the coach in Brazil in 98 when we lost the final against France. But by then he was starting his career. So what happened is that the team was already so um, united that they uh, they already... They were so in sync after uh, Saldanha's period commanding the team that they just kept going as as if he was there. So Jason was uh, a midfielder that was the maestro. And um, even though Zagallo was very praised for being the coach there and leading Brazil to the, you know, the tree, uh, it was the players used to say that it was Jason the one that was coaching them in the breaks and in before in the in the in the dressing room before entering the pitch. So. It was, it was some other Premier League club that had something like this. Was it Chelsea? That's a coincidence because most of the teams that are successful always say, yep, the coach finally didn't do anything than just like keeping the spirit up and we are all coaching ourselves. Mm. The 1990 team of Germany did basically the same. The 1940, 1974 team of Germany did the same. They all say, yeah, the coach, well, he was there because we needed the coach, but we did everything on our own. Mm. Like but I'm, if something is going wrong, the coach is the problem, not the players. Like they, like they always said about Zidane. Yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, I'm guessing Garrison was not the star of the show, though, because they had what, you, what you're calling a crack lineup. Yeah, I, we always say it's the best lineup ever. I mean, you can't really have that much stars in the, in the game, even though uh, nowadays we see all these Galaticos and Manchester City and everything. But back then, it was completely different. So I think we'll never see a team like that again. It was Pelé playing his last World Cup, having won the first World Cup at 17, scoring two goals in the final. Um, never heard of this you, Pelé, dude. Anybody else heard of it? It was Jason in the midfield as a defensive midfielder, but with you know a better passing than Tony Cross will ever have in his career. You can Jairzinho was the only player ever to score one goal in every single match in the World Cup. Um, six matches, you know, not those teams that leave in the group stage. So you also had Tostão and Rivelinho, uh, also in attacking midfielder positions. So uh, Carlos Alberto Torres, who scored the last goal against Italy, which is a beautiful goal. It was nominated. Player. It was nominated the best goal ever scored in a World Cup. The perfect goal. There's a, it's, it's nominated as the perfect goal. Yeah, that, that's an amazing goal. And he was a defensive player. He was a right back. That Argentinian so, was goal a, was pretty good. That Carlos Alberto, who, is it who, who gets the assist, the sort of like touches it with his right foot and then lays it off with his left. Who was that? Was it Pele? Uh, what? What goal exactly? The Carlos Alberto one. Who assisted that one? Oh, Pele. Yeah, Pele. Pele, yeah. That's like Pele the, gives the two. Pele the ball. Two of the most beautiful touches in football, I think, ever. Yeah. It was yeah. the 1971 where Pele did that dummy too, where he just ran forward and then ran around the keeper. Yeah, he dribbled the keeper and almost scored one of the most, what would have been one of the most beautiful goals ever without ever touching the ball. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. So, And he tried to score from the halfway line too, right? Was that that work? Yeah, was that World Cup? I think in the first match against Czechoslovakia, first time someone actually tried to do that. We saw that happen lately. Uh, you know, nowadays uh, Diego scored one of that for Vede Bremen, I think. Um, but back then in 1970, people didn't try that, and he almost did. So it was pretty amazing. Those two goals: the one where he dribbles past the goalkeeper without uh, touching the ball, and the one where he almost scores from half line. 
they're called the two most beautiful almost goals ever. <laughs> nice. Don't forget Ronaldo's goal where Nani headed it in from offside. That oh, was yeah. one of the most beautiful games ever. Goals. He ever. was so angry with Nani. <laughs> yes. <afterwards>. <laughs> <laughs> That reminds me, I used to have a Pele like uh, game on the Sega Mega Drive. Um, it was like endorsed by Pele. I can't remember what it was called exactly. But on that game, if you um, if you're sort of coming up to half time and you took a shot from the halfway line and the half time whistle blew while the ball was in the air, the keeper wouldn't try and save it. It would go in the net, but it would still count as a goal. That sounds, <laughs> that sounds like a glitch in the game to me, Dan. It does that's, sound like yeah. I can't believe Pele put his name to it to be honest. But it's probably not the worst thing he's put his name to over the years, is it? Let's be honest. <laughs> that's how Pele scored thousand goals. I would say he also he also adds the the uh, the Nintendo game goals on there. Um, I'm thinking it was just called Pele World Tournament Soccer. That's the one, I think. Yeah, is that the one? It was decent, apart from that. Yeah. Well, it was considered so bad that Sega refused to release the game in Australia. <laughs> was a, a quick Google. Wow, Australia's yeah, favorite football that market. <laughs> Riots yeah. in Australia because Australian fans will be pissed at it. <laughs> Uh, and that's all the interesting things I can tell you after a quick Google. Had that picture of him celebrating for the 1970 World Cup on the cover. That's the one, yeah. yeah. yeah okay. Uh, they won. Did they win every single game, Joanna? They won every single game. Ooh, that's pretty decent. Yeah, I think they only suffered two goals, actually, also. Yeah, that's one fun. against Italy in the final, and one else in uh, another one in the group stage, if I'm not mistaken. But don't don't forget to mention if you celebrate Jairzinho for this in this World Cup that there was a German called guy called the Bomber, Gerd Müller, who scored ten goals. I think uh, that was one of the best World Cup strikers ever. Wait, hold on. In uh, 1970, Gerd Müller scored ten goals. Ten goals in the World Cup, yeah, and he on, they only reached the semi-finals. So That's this has to be mentioned. If we celebrate Brazil, there was also a better striker from Germany. Oh, you are right. Yeah, ten goals. <laughs> yeah, Good. this Google thing is handy, isn't it? We should use that more often. I uh, prefer Wikipedia. I've got well, an. Well, while you were talking, I was googling uh, how many World Cups of Brazil won because I couldn't remember. Mm. And the first thing that came up was how many Brazil nuts do you have to eat before you die? How many? How um, many? Quite a lot, apparently. Five. Well, it depends if you're allergic to nuts or not, doesn't it, really? Oh, uh, I thought the World Cups. Uh, well, the answer is five. You are right. Yeah. But what is a Brazil nut? You are the Brazilian. Yeah, but we have like uh, a thousand different kinds of nuts. Which one? Yeah, that's a problem. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, what do we call Brazil nuts in Brazil? Great question, yeah. <laughs> maybe, is it cashew? Maybe somebody could email us in and let us know because our, uh, our Brazilian here doesn't seem to know exactly what that is. That no, doesn't know a nut origin. Just know the origin of our own nuts. That's disappointing. Uh, something from the Amazon rainforest. It tells us. Well, they, well, well. Benny looks up whatever that is. Uh, we've got two more minutes before I have to get to a very important meeting. Um, so one final question for you. Uh, I guess given the political situation and everything that was going on in Brazil at the time, this one, you know, co coming through on color TV, this probably holds us more of a special place in Brazilian hearts than any other World Cup win. Yeah, I think so. Because even if Brazil was a, a political mess and repression and people getting, you know, tortured and, and arrested for whatever reason, um, it, you could still, well, the government could use, of course, the success and the World Cup in their favor, you know, some propaganda things, but you can, you cannot help but feel 
joy and happy that your team is winning so it can change people's moods at some point don't alienate yourself you know it's different but it doesn't mean you cannot enjoy the world cup um it's pretty much it's very similar to something happening nowadays in brazil brazil is nowadays living a very um complicated political situation very very much bipolarized and People in one side of this discussion, they wear the Brazilian national team shirt in protest, saying that they're supporting the country. And then last year we had a World Cup. Well, two years ago we had a World Cup. And some people that were on the other side of the discussion were saying, no, I'm not wearing that shirt. I'm not supporting Brazil in the World Cup because of that. No, you know, it has nothing to do with that. Uh, it's a, it's football. Uh, it, because some people appropriated something doesn't mean that you have to as well. So I'm not... In, I'm not stopping to i will not stop enjoying football or supporting my team because of that because of you know uh, the use of it by governments or political sides that i don't agree with but i guess it was a very big event in brazil in, in 1970 um so it, it, we're still celebrating the 50 years of the truth if any listener is hearing a sort of thumping noise coming through i think it might actually be joanna's microphone <laughs> but uh, never, never mind. I don't. I have know. one. I have one Brazilian-related question that, for the end. Okay, you've got about twenty seconds. A Go tricky ahead. one. Yeah. Uh, Joana, you as a Brazil expert, who is the most underrated, forgotten Brazilian striker? Is it Careca or Sonny Anderson? Robinho. <laughs> no, I think Careca maybe because he was a great striker in a time where we didn't have that many. But I think uh, you have to say it's Rivaldo. Because Rivaldo mm. was an excellent player, won the World Cup in 2002, and um, there was a Brazilian journalist, uh, sport journalist, that had a very uh, good sentence about Rivaldo that was, you know, he's a great player, he's a great guy, he's amazing, he was probably even more important than Ronaldo in 2002, but he, if there was ever a, uh, a, a contest for the least charismatic person ever, it was that's true <laughs> and he ended up playing in Uganda right or somewhere where oil money was very important he has Something always a like sad that. face that is problem yeah was and there... in the last years of his career he played in different places I don't even know where he played but the goals he scored for... we're getting too deep into this because I have to go but the goals he scored for Barcelona were on Amazing. another level at that stage absolutely, absolutely. Uh, he ended up in Benny you'll be interested to know Moggy Liberia Mir Moggy Miram oh that's right yeah. uh, in Brazil that was his final No, but like no, he played Egypt, in Uganda. Moggy Miram. Is it? No, Mojibirin so. is his first team and then he ended his career there because it was oh. his first team. But he played in some weird countries as well. Uh, he played for, let's get this, uh, Capsucorp uh, mm -hmm. in Angola. And Uzbekistan. So he, I'm sure he basically visited all the oil and gas countries that are important. Yeah, he did, a, he did, a, he did a Gazprom tour of the world. Yeah. <laughs> He played with his son as well, didn't he, Rivaldo, in the same team? Yeah. Did he? One yes. of the clubs, yeah. Yes, in Moji Meeting. Wow. Yeah, that's right. He's not North Dream, he's South Dream, I would exactly. say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's all from us today. My thanks to Joanna, Benny, and Dan. We'll be back next week. Should you miss us in the meantime, you can listen to the back catalog, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast hit. And if you want to get in touch, you're dressed to do so, it's podcast.com. Mm -hmm.